Would you open your Bibles with me this morning to Matthew 6, chapter 6 of the book of Matthew. This is part, and what we're going to look at today, part of the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount covers Matthew 5 through chapter 7, those three, four chap- three chapters together. We're going to look at just a piece of that, and Jesus was talking. And we begin with verse 1, and he said, and When you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. I don't think it's verse 1. I think we need to look down at verse 5. I don't know how that got in there, but it's amazing. Um, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and with their street corners to be seen by others. And Jesus was talking about, are these truly men of prayer? Now, the common position of the day for prayer was to stand. People were standing. There were two common ways today. One was to stand, and the other was to lay flat on your face. Kneeling came, and kneeling and holding our hands together came much later. It actually got started by the Puritans in England, was where the kneeling and the holding of your hands was part of presentation before the king. So the prayer that was most common in the day was you stood before God, you stood up and stood before him, or you laid right down flat. That was the normal way. Now, there was some, but not the most common way. So when Jesus was speaking about them, we're talking about these people would pray, and they would pray out loud. And they would be standing there, and they'd be praying out loud to make sure everybody here heard them so that they would pray. And people go, oh, my, what pious people. All that was amazing. And they would stand because they would want to look around. And when we were at the Wailing Wall uh, looking at we saw those people praying, and they were looking around as they were praying to make sure others were noticed. I don't know if they do it. I don't want to judge them. But you saw that, didn't you, Mary, where the people would stand, and they were looking around and praying as they were praying and doing their thing together. And Jesus said, truly, I tell you, they've received their reward fully already. Because they got, in other words, God wasn't living that's done with that. So in verse 6, he says, but when you pray, but when you pray. Now, before we go on, I want to just address something a little easy. Some of us find it very easy to pray. Some of us find it, ah, oh, yes, I do it. And I've wanted to do a research project sometime to see if it actually related to how our temperament was. But others, not so much. Others have had a struggle, including yours truly. I have had struggle with prayer earlier in my life about it. I remember my Bible teacher would come up and he would ask me, well, Bill, how's your prayer life? And I'd say, oh, great. It was great because it was non-existent. And uh, I didn't want to get into discussion with him about my prayer life because I didn't want to admit nothing was happening there. But some people sometimes were struggling with prayer. And at different times in our lives, we may struggle with prayer. And I found that that is often common among the youth and young adults, that prayer is sometimes difficult for them. I would like for us, as those of us who are older, to be able to share our experiences of prayer with the younger folks, to share with them that we've had struggles, we've had those signs, how do we talk to God in prayer? That sharing about helping with that will help mentor our younger people as they go. Okay, Jesus said, but when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray that your Father who is uh, unseen. You may have it in the King James Version, it says, well, go into your their closet. In those, in those days, it was a small area, a small room there. You can still see some of those in the Middle East. And when you do, shut the door. 
Because when your father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you in secret. So praying by yourself, going apart, having that time, being real with God and happy. Now that doesn't say we don't have public prayer. Of course we have public prayer. And we need to have public prayer. We pray together as a church family. We did here just a few moments ago. We were led in prayer as a public prayer. So we do have public prayers, and we do that, but he's talking about you and your person. Instead of standing, and so like we saw at the Wailing Wall, with them standing, and they're looking around and making their prayers and speaking out loud, some of them were, some of them weren't, uh, making their prayer. Jesus said, when you pray, and when you pray, do not keep going like those who are babbling like the pagans, for they think they have heard because of many words. I remember in San Francisco, the Hira Krishna would sing, and they would get in this chant. It would go on for eight hours. I watched this thing going on for eight hours, over and over and over, repeating, repeating, and repeating. And sometimes I wonder about the rosary and repeating the rosary, if it might be uh, Jesus has words for that, uh, to do that. So do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. And of course, that raises the immediate question, so why ask? Why pray if he already needs, already knows? Why would you ask if he knows everything already? If he knows what I'm going to ask for before I ask, why would I need to pray? And that's an important, crucial question. Why should I pray? If he already knows, and he gives every good gift, why would I need to pray? Well, prayer doesn't provide God with information that he already knows. He already knows that. He doesn't need to be informed. You don't need to ask, hey, I'm going to let you in on what's going on in my life. He already knows that. So we don't need to do that. Don't need to have that. And Jesus said, for your father already knows what you need before you ask. He already has that information. So we don't need to share information with him, even though we do it. It's for purpose, nor is it for us to persuade him of something he wouldn't do, we're going to, but if I pray, then he'll do it for me, if he'll do that. It's not really prayer, it's for trying to persuade him. The real purpose of prayer is my connection with God, is to make my connection with him and to speak with him, and it helps me cooperate and get in coordination with his will. So I like to pray, if the Lord has a thousand ways to solve our problems of which we have never thought, then... Then we could say, when I pray, I want to leave it open for him to solve my problem. So I share with God, you know, you know what's going on, Lord. You know the problem here. You know what's happening with me. So, so Lord, I'm going to open this up and let you kind of work on this and let you solve that. I'll be delighted to see how you work it out. Then Jesus went on and said, well, this then is how you should pray. This is how you should pray. You have in King James after this manner that he would say most likely what was really being said is after this pattern actually we do not believe that jesus was asking for us to memorize this prayer we do memorize it i remember saying this as a child and growing and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that but the purpose jesus was giving to us goes far more than just memorizing the prayer he was sharing something with us and so when he shared this he said and you have it there. I'm going to do it in the NIV. You may have it in the King James. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts 
as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And then we have added, sometimes centuries later, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. We've added that on. That is not found in the Lord's Prayer there. Now, perhaps you heard just a few, few days ago about Pope Francis was changing the Lord's Prayer. Did you hear this? Oh, yes, he's changing the Lord's Prayer. Yes. So if you read in your Bible, it says in there in Matthew, and lead us not into temptation. And so the Pope says, that, no, that's not, that's not right. We should say it, and we need to change it. So in Catholicism, it's been changed to, do not lead us into temptation. Do not let us fall, excuse me. Do not let us fall into temptation. So they're changing that thought within Catholicism about that. And we would say, well, there they go again. They're trying to change the scriptures again. But let's be careful before we get to critique of uh, uh, the Pope, before we get to far with that when we go with that because what such change is acceptable in the teachings of scripture would that be acceptable with how we reflect scripture would that be acceptable well we don't have to look very far in james chapter 1 verse 13 when tempted no one should say god is tempting me remember lead us not into temptation no one should say that God is tempted, for God does not, cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone to that. So this petition should probably be better understood by saying, do not permit us to enter into temptation. Say that's, he says fall, we say better permit us to fall into temptation. Where did I get that idea? Well, I stole that out of the US SDA Bible commentary. So they would agree in a sense not that necessarily would change it, but the idea that God would not lead you into temptation. It would be more that you would not, God would not help us to refrain from temptation, lead us not there, uh, permit us to go. Because temptation, really, the word is trial or to be tested. It's really what it means in Greek. And so that, do not let us be tested. Can you keep us from being tested? Because we get tested all the time, do we not? Just like Job did in his life, certainly would. Back to, uh, in John 17, verse 15, Jesus said, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. See, and yes, protect them from the evil one. So the Lord's Prayer, the Lord's Prayer as we call it, this prayer in Matthew and the Sermon, has certain parts to it, and I'm gonna go over them just briefly for you, just so you can kind of get an idea about them. They're divided into two sections, and the first section has three petitions. And we'll just look at those real quickly. And that is, one highlights God's nature of who God is. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be thy name. See, the nature of God is our Father who is in heaven. Our Father who is in heaven. The second part is the kingdom. The second petition deals with his kingdom, and he said, your kingdom come. We've talked about earlier before about the kingdom of God has come. Jesus talked about that. Your kingdom come. Then the third part has with God's will, and that he goes in, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your will be done, and that should be part of the prayer. The second the second partition, the second part, deals with man's needs. And so it says, um, comes up with our daily temporal needs and said, give us our daily bread. Give us that, help us with that. 
Now, we worry about that because I uh, run down to Publix and make sure, you know, I've got my stuff and be sure I go get my groceries and so forth. I don't really worry a lot about it. Uh, about it. But Jesus talked about, well, the birds don't, you know, and God takes care of them, and, and shouldn't you, don't get all wrapped up and worried about whether Publix is going to be carrying your ice cream or not. So give us this daily bread. The second part, he goes on, the second petition, uh, our need for forgiveness. And forgiveness our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Now, I remember sometimes they've changed it to say, now forgive us our trespasses as we have forgiven those who have trespassed against us about having that. And that concept, that idea of having that trespasses, it's kind of hard to get around, but even saying debts is, is uh, difficult, you know. Those who have hurt us, who have violated and forgiven them, then we've forgiven them if they've done something wrong to us, then we should forgive others in the same way. And the third going on, the third one is our defense against temptation. And he said, and there we go, lead us not into temptation, or don't let us fall into temptation, or uh, help us to avoid temptation. And number four in man's needs was our deliverance from evil. And Jesus said, but deliver us from the evil one. The reality is, the reality is, he offered himself to deliver us from the evil one. Jesus on the cross was the one who offered us deliverance from the evil one. He provided the way. His grace is what leads us away. His grace is the one who keeps us from the evil one. And so I try to encourage people, instead of trying to fight the devil, turn to Jesus. If you focus on Jesus, he will lead you away from the evil one. And when temptation comes, turn to Jesus. Turn your thoughts on him. And you will find great victory when you do that. And have that. Because he promised you, he will lead you away from that. Now, actually, if we were to look at Jesus' prayer, the prayer that Jesus read, it's all in chapter uh, 17 of John. We won't go there this morning. But Jesus' true prayer is outlined there. And then you find these different sections. It takes the whole chapter. So when we say the Lord's Prayer, we know that all oh, we're talking about Matthew. But if we're really talking about the prayer Jesus prayed, there, that's in John 17. So there are two prayers that are outlined there. But I have one more point we need to make before we end this. And that is one more point uh, to make this uh, go. How come this is not advancing? Could you advance me one more? I don't know. There we go. One more point. All right. So here we are. Verse 14 in Matthew 6. It looks as for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Now, tragically, in my ministry, I've heard people say, I can never forgive them for what they've done to me. I understand that sometimes things happen and experiences happen that can be so painful, so upsetting, so difficult 
I was leaving to go to after foot washing and communion one Sabbath years ago. And two women were in each other's arms sobbing. I had no idea. These two women in the church. And I stopped. I said, is everything all right? And they said, yes, Pastor, everything is finally all right. I didn't know that one of the ladies had been working as an employee of the other, and she had fired her. And for nine years, they had never spoken to each other. Sat in the church, came every week, had never spoken to each other. And finally, one of the women, the one that had been fired, said, enough of this. And she went and approached the other lady and said, may I wash your feet? And the healing took place. The healing of that. See, when we say, I'll, I'll never forgive them for what they've done to me, it's a serious charge. Because that was not Christ's attitude towards us, was it? I'll never forgive them for what they did to put me on a cross. So I want to close with this, and I just would like to share this text with you as we look at what Paul wrote about the attitude of Christ. Philippians 2. Your attitude, our attitude, should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the death, even death on the cross. Therefore God exalted him to the place, the highest place, and gave him a name that is above every name, that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue would confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. A wonderful, powerful, powerful piece there. But Jesus, exalted King of kings, Lord of lords, the creator, humbled himself to become a servant. Healing takes place. <laughs> Relationships get healed when we take on the form of a servant. And we bring things together. There's an old song of which I stole this, stole this title from. It says, prayer I know is the key to heaven. Truly it is. But it's faith that unlocks the door. It is my trusting in God. My prayer in him. And by faith I pray. Prayer builds faith. Faith builds prayer. It forms a beautiful circle. I would encourage you to find different ways, if you're struggling or if you need to find different ways of praying to God and opening your heart, as Ellen White says, as a heart to a friend. To be able to talk with him and share with him, you will find the healing in there. And I also would encourage you to try different positions of prayer. 
I came in here and I laid my face flat down on the floor here when I first started pastoring, right here on the front, put my face right on the carpet before God and said, Lord, help me with this, help me with this project, help me with this church. And there's such a feeling of being in complete submission before God by doing that, kneeling. So try, sometimes I kneel with one, both knees down, sometimes with one knee down, getting ready to do a task, sometimes standing, sometimes standing with my arms raised, sometimes I'm looking up into heaven, sometimes with my hand. You try because it communicates within your soul different ways of praying. So prayer, I know, is the key to heaven, but faith unlocks the door. Lord, I thank you for the power of prayer. It is our most powerful moment when we pray because it connects us with you. And if we listen, you will speak to us in prayer. Sometimes we think we have to do all the talking, but we don't. We can listen, remain in prayer, enjoy that experience with you, and how it heals and helps us grow. Be with us then, in Jesus' name, amen.